Hey everyone, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 2 of the Maroon Weekly. I'm Quinn Kane, and I'm here with Austin. Hey guys. And uh, we're going to get into some news today. We've got a bit of a shortened episode today because this Friday we're going to be releasing some pods that are in conjunction with the Maroon's housing issue. On Friday, the Maroon's releasing an entire issue on what it's like to live in Hyde Park. That being said, let's get right into the news. President Zimmer and Dean Boyer are going to be fielding questions on pressing issues in higher education, including state of free expression and open discourse on campus. So what kind of format are we going to see at this event? So right now the format is going to be David Axelrod will be moderating and they're going to be fielding live questions from the audience. And so are we expecting them to talk about like free expression, like inviting speakers like Bannon to come to campus, or...? I can imagine that will be a big one, but I feel like they'll probably stick to script and probably um, not share anything too insightful, if I had to guess. Yeah, I'm not expecting huge revelations from this meeting. (laughs) All right, well, moving on. This week, some archaeologists working at the Obama Presidential Center revealed that there were some artifacts from the 1893 World's Fair uncovered um, on the site of the Future Center. Do we know what the artifacts were? Yeah, so a lot of them were just, like, pieces from the buildings that were constructed for the World's Fair. Uh, There were also some, like, animal bones, personal uh, memorabilia. But on the whole, there wasn't anything entirely new from these artifacts. Is this expected to then slow down construction of the Obama Center? Are they concerned about maybe there being more artifacts that they need to find? It's looking like this isn't really going to change much. Uh, Jackson Park, where the Obama Center is going to be, is already a historic site. And these artifacts don't really add anything to what we know about Jackson Park. They don't reveal any new information. So it's not going to change the construction process. In other news, computer science professor Frederick Chong was recently awarded a $10 million grant by the National Science Foundation for his research in quantum computing. He won that same grant alongside two other professors, one from Berkeley and one from Rice. Both also received the same $10 million grant. What project did he get this grant for? So his project is called Enabling Practical Scale Quantum Computing. Essentially, it aims to bridge the gap between advancements in quantum hardware and the algorithms needed to optimize the hardware. Recently, there's been major leaps in the hardware side, but software isn't caught up, and that's what Chong aims to solve. Nice. Um, (laughs) Definitely understand that, yeah. Um, You probably saw in your email this week... On Monday, the university sent out a new policy for students who observe religious holidays. The university is going to now require professors to grant allowances for students who may have to miss class assignments or exams because of their religious observances. Professors will also have to give you a reasonable extension of time if you miss a class for religious reasons. Is that policy any different at all from what was currently happening? It's kind of hard to tell. It seems like this is just setting this policy in stone. I mean, a lot of professors, I think, would be understanding with having to miss class for a religious reason. And now we're going to do a check-in with David Wyman, the editor-in-chief of Citizen Bulletin, and now a Maroon writer. Is that a new thing, or have you been writing for the Maroon for a while? No, I just became an editor for the local politics section of the Maroon a couple weeks ago, and the other day I published my very first article. All right. Well, today we're going to talk a little bit about your first article. That was an interview with Tony Preckwinkle, right? Yeah. We've talked about Tony Preckwinkle a good amount, but very quickly, could you just introduce her one more time? So Tony Preckwinkle is the president of the Cook County Board, which is sort of local level of government that includes the city of Chicago and surrounding suburbs. 
and she just won re-election to the that seat of Cook County Board President on on March twentieth. Um, she won renomination. Oh yeah, or, she won the she won the primary election, right. and because there are no Republicans who are filed to run against her, it's, she's basically guaranteed to serve out her third term. So essentially, she'll be she'll continue in this position. Absolutely. What kind of issues did she cover in this most recent election? This election was dominated by the soda tax. Oh right, right, right. So the soda tax was a tax that. Preckwinkle supported, right? Yeah, it was a tax that she personally like proposed herself, and she was sort of like the figurehead, like the face of the effort. And it was um, a last-minute effort to close a budget gap. It became deeply unpopular, and um, as I explained in my article, made her appear vulnerable. And at one point, there was an article that went out saying that her approval ratings, her job approval ratings, were lower than President Trump's job approval ratings. And a candidate who had been a for, former alderman then declared his candidacy against her, Bob Fioretti. Okay, so Bob Fioretti attacked her on this issue? Yes, absolutely. He made basically um, the soda tax issue central to his campaign. He said that it was a bad tax, that the citizens of Cook County had been overtaxed, and it was driving out businesses, and that um, if he was going to come into office, he wouldn't propose any such tax. But the fact that the tax was repealed and that Preckwinkle had said she wasn't going to try to bring it back kind of took away, like took the fire out from under his main campaign issue. Yeah, so it's pretty impressive that she was so, she was so unpopular, but still came back to win this election. What did she think of that when you talked with her? Um, well, I think the ex her exact words were something along the lines of, the soda tax issue is behind us. She really did not want to talk about the soda tax at all, which is understandable. Um, and she spent most of the interview talking again about her like health care and uh, criminal justice efforts. And she said basically that like the citizens of Cook County chose me because they understood that I've been a good steward of the county for the last eight years. So what does Tony Preckwinkle have going forward? What are we going to see from her? So that was um, what I tried to focus on in the interview. And she very much in this interview emphasized her past accomplishments. But she did say that it would be likely that going forward there would not be any support for tax increases of any kind and that the next um, couple budget cycles would include layoffs. And um, I asked her if that would imperil her efforts to sort of support the health care access programs that, she's, that are so important to her. And she said that part of the solution would come from criminal justice reform. Hold on. So how would criminal justice reform affect this budgeting issue? She said that um, over the last few years, she's focused on reducing the jail population, and, and that has reduced the expenses that Cook County has to spend on the jail population, so reducing the number of correctional officers. And she's cut the jail population down from ten to 11,000 people in the jail on a given day to around 6,000. And those are, those are her words from the interview. And she's trying to bring that same sort of reform energy into sort of case management, which is this field where Cook County has these cases that drag on for weeks and months when they really shouldn't, and it's causing all these unnecessary legal expenses. And she said she hopes that by reducing those expenses and ensuring that cases get handled and resolved quickly, she'll be able to find the savings. I don't know, I haven't taken a look at the numbers, but I don't know if by making those efficiency reforms you could... Um, make up for the revenue that you would have gotten from a tax increase. Yeah, so she's running like on creating efficiency yeah. in the criminal justice system, reducing jail populations, mm -hmm. management of court cases, mm -hmm. but that really may not make up for the huge deficit. Yeah, and I, I just personally, I haven't seen any proof that that would make up for it. I haven't seen any proof against it either, but it just doesn't seem... 
And I guess that's why there's, she said that there will be more layoffs. So not really a very optimistic message going forward. I mean, she seemed very confident yeah. when she was like saying it in the interview, but I mean, she was definitely not optimistic about the political viability of tax increases, I can tell you that. <laughs> what about her potential bid for leader of the Democratic Party of Cook County? Did you talk to her at all about that? So we did spend um, a significant amount of time during the interview talking about Joe Barrios and the whole issue with that situation, which was that until recently, Joe Barrios was like sort of the undisputed leader of the Cook County Democratic Party. So what's the leadership position of the Democratic Party that Barrios has right now? So right now, Joe Barrios is the Cook County Democratic Party chair. Okay. And so this is the position that Preckwinkle is potentially going to challenge him at. Yeah, no, she's declared that she is running for uh, this position. And uh, the situation with that is that Joe Barrios was the Cook County assessor, and he lost his uh, primary election. Did you talk to Preckwinkle at all about that? Uh, yes, we did. And she explained in great detail all of like, the good things that Barrios had done. She really emphasized that like, when Barrios had come in, like, the system wasn't very efficient, and that there, it was sort of like, segmented among all these sort of like, archaic information technology servers. And she said that like, he, they spent a lot of time and effort, her and him like, collaborating, to sort of modernize the information technology aspect of the system. And she said that his tenure was the first time in 34 years that they actually released the assessments on time. Why would she be so complimentary to Barrios if she's about to run against him? I mean, Barrios and her, I feel like, have been like very close political allies for many, many years. And I don't know if Barrios like, is eligible to even run for re-election for that seat of the chair or if he's like planning to because of the fact that now he's lost his elected office. I don't know if he still is like in a position to be involved. So I see Preckwinkle isn't necessarily expecting that Barrios is even going to run. Yeah, I, yeah, that is my understanding. I'm not like 100% certain of that, but it seems to me that if she's challenging him after having like endorsed him and supported him in his primary, she wouldn't be expecting to run against him. Got it. All right, well, why don't we quickly cover um, any news that the Citizen Bulletin has been covering this week. Governor Rauner vetoed a bill. Could you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. So Governor Rauner vetoed a bill that would have imposed additional licensing regulations on firearm dealers, and he claimed that it would not actually increase safety. And I think what's important here is to look at the context and like the political context in which this bill was vetoed, because it was days before a primary election for governor, where he was facing an, a challenge from the right from socially conservative Jan Ives, who had been sort of attacking him for not being conservative enough. What else is there in news? Mayor Rahm Emanuel received a long-awaited report from the Grassroots Alliance for Police Accountability, which was a group that had been working on a police reform proposal in concert with uh, Emanuel's office ever since the Laquan McDonald shooting incident and the series of controversies around um, police brutality in Chicago. And the proposal that they came up with was to have a civilian oversight board where it would be composed of civilians who would have the power to sort of set police department policies and to fire the superintendent of police. And as you can probably imagine, that created a lot of blowback from the superintendent of police and from the uh, police officers union. And any more stories? In addition, the federal government passed a $1.3 trillion uh, spending bill averting a government shutdown. It was over 2,000 pages long, and there were concerns among the Congress people that like, they were voting on something that they hadn't read and didn't know what was in it. Our representative, Bobby Rush, from Illinois District 1, voted against the bill because it didn't provide a solution for the 
for the Dreamers. But Illinois' two Democratic senators, uh, Tammy Duckworth and Dick Durbin, both voted for the bill because it achieved a lot of Democratic priorities. All right. Well, thank you, David. And where can we check out the Citizen Bulletin's posts? So uh, the Citizen Bulletin's posts are on uh, our Facebook page, they're on the Maroon website, and they're also on our website, which is ucdemocracy.weebly.com. Awesome. Thank you for coming to check in once again. Absolutely. Great to be here. So, Austin, what events are going to be happening on campus this week? So, at the Neubauer Collegium at 6 p.m. on Tuesday, Cecilia Vicuña, whose work is on display at the Collegium, will deliver the Sherry Memorial Poet Lecture. Vicuña's work explores broad social concerns in her homes of both Chile and New York. And this Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, the Center for Identity and Inclusion is hosting a three-day mental health conference entitled Break the Silence. The conference is being hosted by TASA, Active Minds, and Pan-Asia. It's free for all UChicago students. You can register for the conference at uchicagobreakthesilence.com. Also, this week and next week, Prospies will be descending upon campus for the admitted students' overnights. There's going to be some other RSO fairs that are in conjunction with that and some cool events, so be sure to look out for those. And uh, get that good food in the dining hall while you can. Always. For more fun events, check out our events page at chicagomaroon.com slash events. All right, awesome. What's this week's tech fact? So it's actually Snapchat's April Fool's prank. It was a Snapchat filter this year. So, wait, a filter that, that comes up on your phone after you take the picture? Yeah, those? after you take the picture, you'd swipe over to it, and it would make your photo look like a Facebook post. But the kicker is, is it made it look like a Facebook post that was getting upvoted by Russian bots. Wait, really? Yeah, so it added some Russian script all over your post, and it added things like your mom liked your post, <laughs> and so not a Russian bot liked your post, or something along those lines. Oh my god, yeah, it looks like, I mean, it says like your mom and a bot and stuff, but it says it in like Cyrillic script. Yeah, um, so pretty fun jab at Facebook from Snapchat's part. Man, that's like a, a shot across the bow. Yeah. I guess Snapchat's trying to take advantage of whatever they can since they keep losing ground to Facebook and Instagram, but uh, it's fun to see it's fun to see a little jab here and there. All right, so our last bit of news this week is that the Maroon launched Marketplace. For those of you who don't know what Marketplace originally was, it was like a Craigslist-like service ran by student government, um, which closed down, but the Maroon's relaunching it with a big fancy new webpage and tons of exciting stuff on it. Yeah, so the Maroon came to do some sort of agreement with student government that they will operate Marketplace and students can once again post their furniture, their sublets, whatever on Marketplace to reach out to the rest of the university community. Be sure to check it out at marketplace.chicagomaroon.com. The full launch was yesterday, so there should be a ton of stuff up on the site for you to check out. That's all we have for you guys this week. First off, we'd like to thank Aaron Senden and Andrew Dietz for the awesome music. And David Wyman for coming to talk to us. Ben Kent and the entire Logan Cage staff for our audio equipment. And Catherine McDonald, my study abroad friend who has been a pioneer in championing this podcast ever since its birth. Be sure to check out the housing editions that will be dropping this Friday. As always, I'm Austin. I'm Quinn. And we'll catch you guys next week.